you haven't uh, noticed by now, I, I love your, your mission statement. <laughs> it's short, it's easy to remember, it's to the point, it's challenging, and it keeps us focused. We love, we live to love people to life. And so uh, I want to preach the second sermon based on, on that theme again. So how do we live? Uh, I wish I could say that uh, every instant of my life I, I loved uh, like God wanted me to love or I responded like God wanted me to respond. Uh, but the key to that is just say, I, I messed up, Lord, help me next time to take it more serious and to depend upon you. But let's continue that thing. The, the, the last time I spoke, we looked at that foundationally, what makes this possible we discovered that there's no way to love the way we need to love apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're able to love people to life because, first of all, God loved us. That's where it all starts. That's called the divine initiative. We love because he first loved us. So that's the beginning. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 5, 5, that when we surrender to God's will for our lives, the love of God is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, which then makes possible the great commandment, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do it on your own. It, we depend upon him. When Matthew speaks of being perfect as our heavenly father is perfect, he's talk, talking about loving like God loves. If you go to Matthew 5, 43, it says, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? If you're, if you're just greeting people that look like you and smell like you and act like you and they're in your same socioeconomic class. What, what good's that? <laughs> Don't even pagans do that? We have, the pagans have the ability to do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So kind of to wrap that all up in context, then what Matthew is telling us in this passage, if we're to be perfect as our heavenly Father is perfect, then that means we are to love indiscriminately. Enemies as well. As friends and folks, I got news. We can't do that on our own, can we? We also need to remember that if we're to live in such a way that we, we love people to life, notice that love is a verb. It's just not a feeling. It's not a noun. What well, is, but it, it's a verb. It's something we do. God's love for us resulted in action. I'm sure we know John 3, 16, right? God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Paul, again, in Romans 5, 8, reminds us 
God demonstrates his love for us. He just didn't send a love letter to us telling us how much he loves us. He demonstrates how deep, how wide, how high, how enduring his love is. He demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were running the other way, he was pursuing us. But he demonstrates his love. I've been around the church long enough. To, it's funny that that's on prayer. Uh, I like the way just the, the songs all blended in and, and that. So I, believe, I believe we oftentimes, now, and I don't want you to take me wrong, I believe prayer is very important. It's the first thing we should do. It's the most important thing we should do, but it's not the only thing we should do. And I, I believe we often, oftentimes use prayer as a way to avoid taking action. We say, well, I'll be praying for you, and that's the end of that. My conscience has been pacified, and I don't have to feel guilty about not getting involved. So I was thinking about this sermon, the parable of the Good Samaritan came to mind. Notice that the Good Samaritan didn't pass by the unfortunate soul laying along the road and just say, sorry for your terrible misfortune. I'll be praying for you. Luke 10, that's where it's recorded. Jesus said, I, a man was going, and he's answering, they're trying to find a loophole in the law because uh, Jesus says, love your neighbor. And he, they go, well, who's our neighbor? You know, so let's, let's find the loophole so we don't have to keep this law. So Jesus is describing for them what, what a neighbor is and basically it's whoever is in need. And, and Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan. Now, this is the enemy. This is the ones that they hated. They hated each other, actually. Samaritans and the Jews. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he just didn't say, I'll be praying for you, bro. Hope you get out of this mess says he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Matthew 25 describes for us the character and the nature of the righteous. I'm sure you've heard a sermon from this somewhere along the, the way. Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his left and the goats on his, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick. You looked after me. I was in prison and you came 
to visit me. Well, they're surprised. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So how we treat the least among us, that's how we're treating Jesus. Don't say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. Thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison, you didn't look after me. And they'll answer. They don't have a clue either. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and didn't help you? He'll reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for not for one of the least of these, <laughs> you did not do for me. And they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, the only comments I want to make on this passage is that no, I want you to know this is not a to-do list. This is not a to-do list of things you need to do if you want to make it to heaven. This is not a description of works righteousness. This describes the character and the nature of the righteous. It's just their way of being and living because of their relationship with God, just who they are. So that's the point. Have you ever had this happen to you? You know, I've had this happen to me. I've been sitting at, at my desk and I'll get a phone call from someone who I was youth pastor when I first started out. And this happened to me. I got a call from, from a kid, you know, it used to be a kid. And, and uh, he said, I just want you to know what impact you and your wife Sharon had on me. I mean, all those times you just had us in your home and you, you looked after us and you cared for us. And frankly, I didn't even remember the kid. OK, I, I really didn't because I don't have that great of a memory. <laughs> My wife remembers every little detail that happened to every function that we've ever been to and every birthday. I mean, she's amazing. And, and it's like. I'll say, oh, yeah, I remember now that you mentioned it, but she doesn't just remember the de She just remembers every detail. And so this kid calls and uh, thanks for the impact you have on my, my life. And, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm in ministry and just wanted you to know that. And I hang up. So, so I thought and thought, finally remembered who it was. And, but, you know, that, that's how it is with the people of God, isn't it? We, we just live our life and we live our life because we have the character and nature of our heavenly father and, we don't think anything of the things we say and do because that's just who we are. That's just what we do. And the Holy Spirit takes those and he plants them in people's hearts and he makes a difference in their lives. And we don't think a thing of it. Well, that's how I picture this happening. You know, they say in the to do list, this is what you need to do. You got to feed this many people and go to the jail this many times. No, he's talking about this is what it looks like to belong to the kingdom of God. This this is what the people of God look like. This is, this is their being and, and their doing. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. Notice also there are those who didn't, didn't have the heart of God. Those who did not have the heart of God because they didn't know God. Their reply, we read it. When did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger, needing clothes? 
He said, what you didn't do for them, you didn't do for me. Then they'll go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So for the Christian to live in such a way that they love people to life, that's what your mission statement says. Don't you wish it was easy? It's not. Love is a verb. And love is a verb because we have the heart of the Father, right? And we have the heart of the Father because we're in relationship with the Father through Christ. And we develop the heart of the Father because we cooperate with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. There's three tenses. We have been sanctified initially. We are being sanctified and we will be glorified. So it's an ongoing uh, cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, I've discovered that living out love as a verb instead of a noun is oftentimes, doesn't have to always be, but it's often inconvenient and messy. It's just not, you can't, when you work with people, it's just inconvenient and messy. There's just no other way to put, put it because we live in a broken world. Uh, there's a pastor I worked with as his associate when I was in Sem- Nazarene Seminary in Kansas City. He, he then was a pastor of the Overland Park Antioch Church. And so I was his associate while I was in school. And Pastor Bond loved the lost. I'm telling you, that man wept over the lost. He got involved in their lives. After leaving the Kansas City area, he moved to Oklahoma to pastor. And while he was there, he established, established a Nazarene Compassionate Ministry Center out of his church. And through his leadership, the church said, yes, we want to love the unlovable. We want to reach those people nobody else wants. And, and, and we want to reach the lost and the broken. And things went well. And the, the church began to do just that. They were located downtown and he had started Compassionate Mystery Center, and they began to reach the drug addicts, the, the alcoholics, the prostitutes, the pimps, you name it. Well, uh, at the General Assembly, after all that had, had been gone for a, a while, I was visiting with Pastor Bond, we were having lunch together, and, and I, he looked troubled. He, he, he always, he, he just looked troubled, and so I said, what's going on? And, and I discovered that his church board was trying to get rid of him while he was, at, while he was away at General Assembly. <laughs> Uh, and to make a long, long story short, bottom line was the leaders of the church decided they didn't want their congregants, they didn't want their children, they didn't want their grandchildren exposed to those kind of people. And they had decided ministry to those kind of people was just too hard and the price was just too high to pay. And I only bring this illustration to mind only to say that When we live our lives in such a way that we love people to life, it's often inconvenient and messy. Okay? That's all I'm going to say about that. There there may have been better ways for them to accomplish their purpose. I don't know. But I'm just saying it's it's inconvenient and it's messy. In one of my own ministries, we had a man uh, begin attending, uh, and he had decided he wanted to become a woman. at first, he began, he started to cross-dress, and then he grew his nails and began to paint his nails, and then he began to take hormone shots so his breasts would grow, and then he had plans to eventually go all the way with, uh, surgically with his sex change. And, and, and during the course of him attending uh, our church, 
one of the men of the church came to me and said, if, if you don't tell him to leave, I will. Again, to make a long story short, I said, no, you're not. So he didn't and I didn't. You see, because what better place to be among a people of God who love God for people to see an, an, an alternate way to live, an alternative lifestyle that we as Christians have. You see, because I told the person that came to me and said that when we're exposed to the gospel, at some point, he, he is going to make a decision. When we're exposed to the gospel and the holy love of God through God's children, people will either be transformed and change and stick around or they'll reject the gospel and leave. Let the Holy Spirit do his work in their lives and don't be a hindrance. You see, God's love will either result in salvation or judgment, depending on how we respond to his love for us. And I use this as an example to illustrate the fact that when we, we love and minister to broken people, it, it's going to get messy. <laughs> no way around it. You know, I want, and, and I said, you know, what, what greater opportunity this situation could have presented to parents who would have seen it in a more positive way, how they could use this. What a great opportunity for parents to talk with their children and their teenagers about their sexuality and their sexual identity and how God reveals himself through our maleness and femaleness. But it didn't happen. It was just fear takes over and get him out of our midst. We don't be reminded of the brokenness of people. We don't want to be part of the, of the remedy. We don't want to be part of what God wants to do. Now, I realize these are somewhat extreme examples, but we often miss the opportunity to impact people's lives because we don't take the time to notice what's going on around us in people's lives. We, we need to understand that people are more open to being impacted by the gospel whenever they're going through a crisis or another significant event in their lives. So put your antenna up as a Christian. Loss of job, loss of a loved one, an illness or terminal illness, divorce, separation, a marriage, a birth of a child. People are more open and responsive during those transitional times in their lives to the gospel. And we need to be willing to be inconvenienced to minister to or rejoice with people during those times in our lives. And so through practice, we need to cultivate the art of listening to the Spirit. I was out mowing my grass not too long ago, and, and, and I got about oh, an acre to do, and I have a little 42-inch riding mower, and it takes me about an hour. And so I'm, I'm riding my lawnmower, and I see my... my neighbor out, and every time I'd make a round around my yard, I felt this impression, you need to stop and talk to your neighbor. So every time around, it just grew a little bit, grew a little stronger and grew a little stronger. And finally, about the fourth or fifth time around, I, I got off my, uh, my lawnmower and, and flagged him down. And he came over. Now, you got to understand something about me. I'm type A. Uh, uh, when I'm working, I don't like to be bothered. You know, I, I have a job to do. And I want to get it done as quickly and as efficiently and as good as I can. My wife will get up some morning. She'll say, yeah, you were working on the computer when, you went to, when I went to bed last night. How long, when did you come to bed? I'm saying, I didn't go to bed. 
I didn't get it fixed. I didn't get it fixed till six o'clock this morning, but I got it fixed. You know, men, that's how I am. We got to conquer that thing. It's a challenge. So that's how I am when I'm, I'm doing a job. And so I, being that kind of person, I kept resisting. I, I don't want to stop. I got, to, I got this grass to cut. You know, I got things to do, places to go. But I, so I, I gave in because I knew it was the spirit. I began to talk and we talked for at least a half hour, maybe an hour. And he had some significant things, significant things going on in his life. His wife is dealing with dementia and he, had prob- he has problems with the injustices of life and, and the world. And he has questions about God. And it turned, to be out, it, tur- it turned out to be quite a spiritual conversation that I would have missed if I hadn't listened to that inner impression given by the Holy Spirit. Basically, as a Christian... We can live a couple of ways. I can live in a way that says Christ died to save me from the world. Or I can live in a way that says Christ died to save me for the world. Now, in reality, Christ saves us from the world for the world. But I want us to see, I want us to contrast these two ideas. And that's a choice that each Christian and each church has to make. Did Christ primarily die to save me from the world or did he save me for the world? In other words, am I going to do the holy huddle? Christ saved me from, from that, those people in that place out there, so let's just gather together. God's special little people. Or did he save me for the world to adopt me into his family as king and for me to go out and make a difference? That was the problem with Israel. God chose them to be his people. So they could be instruments of his salvation. Finally, we know Christ, God accomplished that through Christ, who was through Israel. But that, that was God wanted them to be his instruments of salvation. And by the time Jesus came on the scene, we see they had failed at their vocation and had become a people who believed God's primary intention was to save them from the world and not for the world. They were God's special people and everyone else was not. They saw themselves as the privileged ones rather than the ones God wanted to use as his instruments to touch and save the world. And there are sermons, sermons right there. But we must move on. As people who believe God has saved us through Christ for the world, we are exposed to be praying and living the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not in the sweet by and by, but right now. That's why you pray, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Lord, give me the strength and energy I need to be an instrument to bring a little piece of heaven, a little piece of your kingdom to earth right now. Not only is that our prayer, but that's the way we live. We pray and live the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven through me right now, Lord, through my church. You see, the kingdom of God has arrived. Amen. The kingdom of God has arrived in and through Jesus and is now made visible to the world and a reality in the world through the church, Christ's body. That's you and me, folks. 
We are living in such a way that we give the world a taste of what the kingdom of God looks like and what it will be like when Christ returns to consummate his kingdom on earth. We are to be making our part of the world a place that looks like the kingdom of God, a place where love and mercy and justice and beauty and harmony and health and wholeness reign. Because that's what it's going to be when there's no more sin. The Christian religion makes that paradoxical affirmation that the future has already been accomplished by the way we live in the present. Did you get that? The future has already been accomplished by the way we live in the present. In other words, God has made it possible through Christ for us to live right now the way we will in the future. I'm so thankful he's taken care of not only my acts of sin through forgiveness, but he takes care of that nature that is opposed to him. <laughs> he takes care of that bent toward evil and gives me a bent toward righteousness. He fills me with his love by the Holy Spirit, which makes it possible for me to live right now like a future child of the kingdom of God, like the kingdom of God will look like when he comes and consummates his kingdom. When he sounds the trumpet, the dead in Christ shall rise <laughs> and all who are alive will be caught up together in the air. Now, the word used there is the same word they used whenever a king would come to town. They would go out and meet the king that was coming or the Caesar or the ruler, not to go off somewhere, but to bring him back and usher him back in, into town. So this is talking about Christ comes to establish his kingdom on earth, to consummate that which he began in the Garden of Eden. He'll fully accomplish in the end to be with his people. The kingdom of heaven has been joined to humanity and to this earth through Jesus the Messiah. We as God's people are the evidence to the world that the kingdom of God is among us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Living a life of holy love is not just about behaviors and, and actions and attitudes that should be avoided, but it's about behaviors and actions and attitudes we engage in that reflects the mind and the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Church of the Nazarenes, I, I, I was, uh, the new manual came out, and, and here's, what it, here's, here's one of our statements in, in paragraph 20, section 28.3. I love what it says. The Church of the Nazarene believes this new and holy way of life involves practices to be avoided and redemptive acts of love to be accomplished for the souls, minds, and bodies of our neighbors. Throughout the Bible and the life and example of Jesus, God identifies with and assists the poor, the oppressed, and those in society who cannot speak for themselves. We believe Christian holiness to be inseparable from ministry to the poor. And I would add the broken the disenfranchised, in that it drives the Christian beyond our own individual perfection and toward the creation of a more just and equitable society and world. See, John Wesley didn't believe just in a personal piety. He believed your personal holiness made a difference 
There is no holiness apart from social holiness. Your personal holiness will make a difference in society and how you treat people and how you act. And I end by this, by the way we treat, by the way we treat and interact with people, folks need to know that God cares about them in an intimate and personal way today. Remember, we're his body now, we're his church. We're representatives of the fact that bring a little bit of heaven to earth, what the kingdom of God looks like, what it's gonna be like when his kingdom is consummated at the end. See, by the way we treat and interact with people, folks need to know that God cares about them in an intimate and personal way today. That God is at work through dedicated men and women working to reverse their situation. And God can still give meaning to their life today. God has no plan B. There is no plan B. You go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You be my hands and my feet. You be the church. Are you someone who lives your life in fear? And as such, someone who's been saved from the world? Or are you the, someone who believes greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? And you live life like God has saved you for the world. May that second possibility be true in each of our lives. May it be so in us as it was in Jesus by the same power working in us that raised Jesus from the dead. Let's pray. Father, wish I could say I've always done it right, that I'll still always do it right, but I'm so thankful for your love. And, and when you adopted us into your family and you forgave us of our sins, and we realized there's that opposition in there that... Uh, that bent, that was against you, Lord. I'm so thankful that you not only took care of the symptoms, but you took care of the root and that you give us a new nature. And Lord, if we'll just surrender to you and cooperate with your will, Paul tells us there that your love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's the thread that connects all the the different ways we refer to being sanctified, total commitment, full surrender, the deeper life. Lord, the, the, the thread that runs through it all is, is very relational. And it's, it's a thread that tells us as we surrender to you and as we ask for you to fill us again and again that you will make possible in our lives the ability to love others like you have loved us that you indeed can give us eyes to see people as you see people and not just the exterior. God, I'm thankful for your forgiveness when I fall short in that area, when I make a prejudgment about someone based on what they look like or how they're dressed or how many tats or piercings they have. You're so gentle in correcting and give me the eyes of, of God to help see the potential of what they can become. Lord, our prayer is today as we leave this place, fill us once again with your spirit. Amen.